They're coming to get you, Barbara. You're tearing me apart! I'm Charles Foster King! You're at heart a sentimentalist. Movies podcast where we talk about underseen films, lesser known gems, and unrecognized masterpieces maligned and panned by audiences and critics alike. This is episode number, lucky number 13, and I'm pleased to introduce my guest, writer and critic Stephanie Crawford. How are you, Stephanie? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am super. Uh, I already told you, but thank you so much for doing this. I uh, listened to you for years on the Screamcast and, of course, uh, love it when you show up on uh, Just the Discs. And uh, so this is a huge honor for me to be able to speak with you. So thank you again for doing this. Oh, no, thank you so much. I'm a fan of the show. I am a little intimidated because you've had very accomplished intelligent people on and a little nervous following that but i i do appreciate it oh well i'm uh i mean i i asked you for a reason because uh you i mean you uh own a wealth of uh knowledge so um i'm really excited and i'm really excited to talk about the movie uh we're going to here in a little bit um seeing that you picked it so i i'm guessing you're a fan of it but before we get there uh for the listeners that are listening for the first time what we do here is uh this was born out of film critic danny perry's books called cult movies he's got three of those and he's got a slew of other books um but each episode i have the guest pick a movie from one of Danny's books. Right now, we're just focusing on the first book. Uh, we discuss that movie, and then in the second half of the show, we offer up pairings or recommendations based on that film. And we're going to start how we do every episode. Stephanie, how do you define the term cult movie? Oh, I would say it's indefinable, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, uh, 13 episodes in, I would have to say so, yes, because uh, I've gotten a different definition every time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of why it's so great. It's very mutable. Uh, I And to me, that is what a cult film is. It seems to regenerate itself, uh, even if it kind of landed with a thud or a whisper. Uh, something about it, no matter what genre it's from, it will uh, people will just stumble upon it in various ways, um, and it they're the kind of films that just endlessly prompt discussion and devotion and bafflement, sometimes obsession. That is another component of it. I think something about cult films goes beyond, oh, this is a nice film. I'm enjoying it. It, it lives with you. It sticks in your head. It, it prompts you to share it with as many people as you can. So they just, they have an addictive quality to them. I 100% agree with you. And I think, uh, 
you know, some of these, like the, you know, out of the 12 films that we've discussed so far, uh, now 13, um, I can see how I, I like the word obsession that you used, um, where, uh, like for instance, tonight's movie, uh, I have watched it now three times, uh, in, I don't know, probably two weeks and it, I can, it's got some sort of addictive quality to it. Again, we'll get into that. Um, but let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Stephanie, introduce, uh, what we're talking about tonight and tell me, uh, how you came upon this movie. Okay. Uh, we will be talking about 1968's Pretty Poison, directed by Noel Black, written by the legendary Lorenzo Semple Jr., and this is a tale of a young man named Dennis, who is played by Anthony Perkins. And he's on parole from a mental institution. And we later find out it's due to a grisly but accidental death uh, he caused in his family. And um, so he's kind of let out um, on parole in this tiny town where he no longer has a family, he has no friends, he's assigned a job at a chemical plant. And uh, right off the bat, um, he his eye is caught by a beautiful young high school student named um, Sue Ann, played by Tuesday Weld. And uh, they kind of, uh, it's kind of a... a an attraction at the beginning and uh, it's interesting because it's a perversion of the meet cute. He kind of runs up to her, tells her he he's on a mission and he works for the CIA and he might need her help. And she's kind of just drawn into what a weird situation it is. And it just, their relationship grows from there and the uh, this kind of almost whimsical, um, innocently manipulative plot of his to kind of talk to this cute girl, it it turns incredibly sinister. So, <laughs> it it is uh, one of the most unique movies that I've ever seen because the tone of it is all over the place. Would you agree? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> And it has so many tropes that are very popular in a lot of films, but you're right. Uh, it all comes together in an incredibly unique way. Yeah. It, uh, like when it came time for, uh, like trying to figure out what I'm going to pair with this thing. Um, I'm, I'm in a, a discord chat with, uh, I don't know, half a dozen people. And, and, uh, I was talking about it saying I'm having such a hard time and, uh, because, uh, it's just it's so, such a strange movie um but like we watched it my wife and I she watched it with me uh, her first time last night and uh she she really liked it she thought it was really cute and it is um but I mean like the first time that I watched it, I thought what in the world is this thing this is so strange because you know i mean anthony perkins seemed you know especially after psycho seemed to get typecast a lot um and you get you know obviously some of that here um but i don't know he, he's I, we see how great of an actor he is in this movie mm -hmm. no um 
I'm so glad he took this role because on paper, it's like, oh, a young guy coming out of a mental institution, uh, coming from family problems. Yeah, I, I let me dip back into that well. <laughs> uh, but boy, I, I'm glad he could obviously this, see the script for what it was because um, it's very normal to relate this to Norman Bates. It's hard not to. Um, Perkins was an incredible actor with a fascinating career, but when your biggest hit doesn't age, and it remains a, a monster as time goes by. Uh, you're, you're a little doomed. Uh, yeah. It's going to be around your neck. Uh, but, oh, this is uh, completely different, uh, I think. And it's wonderful. Um he he's just he really had a knack for tapping into different angles of mental illness. Um, you know, you look at like psycho and crimes of passion. Those are very loud displays of mental illness. Uh, but here it's, it's much quieter and pretty heartbreaking, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, let me read real quick uh, a little bit of what Danny said. Um, I, I pulled from two different paragraphs uh, of his essay here. Uh, the first part I'm going to read um, kind of talks about the, the cult aspect of it. And then the second part is... Uh, well, let me just read it, and, and, and you guys will hear. Uh, he says, Pretty Poison is for specialized audiences and belongs in art houses, but 20th didn't recognize this and gave up on it entirely once it failed to fill large theaters. Yet, as a result of critics hailing it as a sleeping... Oh, excuse me. As a sleeper, it has survived. Having been booked on college campuses in the late 60s and early 70s and in selective rep theaters ever since. And then he goes on here. He says, No Black's theme, as reflected in his paradoxical title and as embodied by Sue Ann, is that paranoid America is not so much in danger from foreigners as it is from evil, epidemic-like forces that have given birth in America's heartland. Black sees this small, peaceful Massachusetts town as a microcosm of sick, self-destructive America. The point he seems to be making is that we should... Uh, stop blaming foreigners for all our country's ills and turn a suspicious, prudent eye at ourselves and look beyond the pretty facades that exist to where we can really find the root of many of America's problems. I read that and I thought, good God, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? <laughs> yeah. Boy, he could string a sentence together, couldn't he? Yeah. Well, the it's, you know, the way, I don't know, I I guess... I like reading, um, you know, uh, reviews or, or you know, uh, different analyses of movies after watching a movie. I, I try not to, especially a, a movie that I've never seen. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, Danny has made me look at this movie in a different manner. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it shows a mirror to our faces to America's face saying that it is, uh, you know, the evil is right here. Um, and you know, I mean, of course we've just in uh, the short time we've been in 2021, we've seen that. So I just thought that was really interesting. Um, do, do you remember the first time you saw pretty poison, Stephanie? I do. Sadly, it's not an interesting story. Um, I had brought it up with uh, Brian Sauer on a podcast and he just started raving about it. 
So I was like, oh, I got to move this up the list. And uh, I'm glad I always take his recommendations. That never steers me wrong. So, uh, yeah, I grabbed it during a, a Twilight Time sale. And uh, I fell in love. Though it, it is interesting. I, I do pick up, um, well, of course, I pick up different things the more I see it. But I remember the first time I, and this might have been the, the psycho carryover prejudice, but I thought, Anthony Perkins was very egotistical in the, uh, especially at the beginning. Oh yeah. And then on seeing, I'm like, oh no, he's just terrified and he has no idea how to act. And um, no, it, um, even though this, this film hasn't been in my life for very long, it, it's had a huge impact. And uh, I guess like a lot of the best cult movies, it's lived rent free in my brain since I saw it. I, I think back to it quite a bit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's uniqueness. And then the way uh, Perkins and, um, uh, you know, of course, stemming from Semple's script. But, um, you know, I have a note here that says uh, he, as in uh, uh, Dennis, wants to be in the real world, but he just can't handle it. Because the real crazy people are out here roaming around free. Um, and uh, yeah, once he gets a glimpse of how, you know, cruel people can be, like his boss, played by Dick O'Neill, or how crazy people are, uh, like Sue Ann, played by Tuesday Weld, um, it, it's, you know, it, it scares the shit out of him. Um, and then, and so each time I watch this, uh, last night being the third, I thought, is he actually, you know, uh, miswired or, you know, uh, quote unquote crazy? Um, or is he, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I think he's completely normal. Um, and we're shown how horrible the quote unquote normal people are. Yes, I, I agree with you. When I referred to him as mentally ill, um, I I didn't mean to imply that he was psychotic in any way, but he survived an incredibly traumatic event, and then he was treated like a criminal for it, uh, even though it was a terrible accident. And, um, you know, we the movie doesn't give us anything like dramatic flashbacks to him being mistreated in the Institute or even treated well, where he doesn't talk about it. <laughs> we don't really know what went on there, but he does come out. He's a polite young man. He's clearly very intelligent. Uh, but yeah, he, he's pretty much been in a bubble. So <laughs> um, he has this kind of fabulous streak with this uh, story he makes up, which uh, I, I think is just his safety net, like kind of testing out what's like to talk to people. And unfortunately, uh, he he probably met the worst person he possibly <laughs> right after that. Yeah, he he you know, I it, it's like um, he's emotionally stunted. Um, and so he's like a little child and again, not to, you know, kind of recall psycho, but he's like a little child, um, uh, playing a game, you know, he's, he's playing spies. Um, and then, you know, he, once, uh, Sue Ann ends up freaking killing the, the night watchman, uh, he realizes 
holy crap, I'm in way over my head. Um, and he's, you know, he's not, it doesn't seem like he's uh, emotionally mature enough even to handle uh, uh, speaking with just holding normal conversations. You know, he tries to play the cool guy like he's he's living in this little uh, uh, airline uh, camper thing on a, you know, on the side of a parking or a, uh, auto shop. And like the uh, the lady that lives there comes in and, you know, says you got a phone call and he's acting all cool. Uh, but, you know, I, again, watching it multiple times, I, I started realizing, OK, he's like putting up this facade. He's he's playing pretend he's he's only trying to act cool because maybe that's how he thinks. That's what he thinks, you know, people should act or how he should be. Um but you know the each time I watched this, I I felt more and more sorry for him. And again, that goes back to Anthony Perkins. I think he's like he's one of my favorite actors, and he just seemed like the you know just the nicest, sweetest person in real life. And then you get these uh, these characters like like Dennis here, uh, who again you know I, I feel like I say this a lot about a, a lot of the characters uh, we talk about on the show but like I just want to give him a hug because that's all he needs I feel like yeah uh, no because uh, right off the bat when he uh, finally gets the nerve to talk to her uh, he 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 sounds like a kid. He's like running up to her, whispering about his secret assignment. And he literally gallops away from her in excitement. <laughs> yeah. I'm so confused by what happened. And, um, and though, you know, the fact that she is in high school is incredibly uncomfortable. It is probably the only way the plot could have even gone because any any woman older than that would be like I am staying far away from this guy but he found a bored teenager who didn't really have anything better to do so all right let, let's find out uh what this goofy guy's talking about with his secret mission business yeah she is um I was just on uh schlock and awe talking about falling down and, uh, of course, Tuesday Weld plays uh, Robert Duvall's wife in that movie, and she's super underserved in that movie, of course. But uh, she is so damn good in this, and it makes me sad that she she didn't become, like, this huge movie star. Because, you know, I mean, she had the look. She was absolutely stunningly beautiful. Uh, but she's a freaking magnificent actor and I was completely blown away by her performance here every I see Tuesday world I'm blown away I just recently saw a play at Lays also starring Anthony Perkins and her and I know uh, you talked with Bill Ackerman about it and um, yeah <laughs> I mean good lord uh, I you know I once people know her name and they start seeing her roles I I can't imagine anyone not being a fan, but it does seem like there's a lot of barriers to becoming her uh, a fan of hers. Uh, her movies are way harder to find than they should be a lot of time, and it it seemed like there's a lot of unhappiness throughout her career. Yeah, it's it's very very sad, and you know I, she's uh, retired at this point in her life, but uh, you know 
man, she is so damn good. And talk about uh, a gorgeous couple between her and a young Anthony Perkins, just like two beautiful people. Um, so, you know, that never hurts uh, when you're watching a movie. Yeah, in, in the poster, they really, in the original poster, they really illustrate like oh, what a cute all-American couple they are. And in the at one point in the movie, he describes her as the clean, true girl. Yeah, <laughs> they really do look like um, they could sell whole milk in a commercial or something together. <laughs> um, now. Uh... Let's talk about some of the side characters. The cast here is really, really terrific. Uh, you have Beverly Garland, who plays um, Sue Ann's mother. Uh, John Randolph, of course, from you know Christmas Vacation or <laughs> You've Got Mail. Uh, you know, a huge star from You've Got Mail um, plays the caseworker for Dennis, and then Dick O'Neill plays his uh, Dick Boss at this chemical plant that he's working at. And, uh, you know, of course, Dick O'Neill seemed like that's the character he played a lot of times, of course, from uh, taking of Pelham 123, uh, Walter Matthau's colleague in that movie who was a huge dick. Um, but I love love this cast and then uh her name is i can't remember uh the bronson that's the garage that he lives at uh mrs bronson she wears that little ball cap uh like on the back of her back of her head but a little askew and mm -hmm. i you know it's just a weird cute little touch there but this cast is so great yeah, uh, it's it's a small but powerful cast. It's a very naturalistic acting approach. Um, yeah, there there no one's hamming it up. No one is seems to be trying to upstage anyone else. Um, it, it feels like all of the actors are were probably pretty excited about the screenplay and really work to serve it. And yeah, it's being a Roger Corman fan, it's such a treat seeing Beverly Garland in this, who is incredible in her few scenes. And they, um, on their first date with Dennis and Sue Ann, they were they watched the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre yeah. by Roger Corman. So I was like, uh, what, did Noel Black have like a background with him? Because this is like a big Roger Corman yeah. fan film in a way. Yeah, it. Uh... I mean, it, everybody, I think, just plays it exactly how it's supposed to go. And I mean, it is it is a wonder why this isn't, you know, a huge, huge movie, uh, because you have, I mean, one Anthony Perkins at this point in his career is a huge star. You'd think that would be, you know, selling power enough. But uh, it's just very curious Um and I, I had never even heard of this movie until I got uh, cult movies a couple years ago. So, uh, you know, once again, I'm turned on to another movie uh, that I absolutely love now from Danny's books. Um, and I, the other thing I think that really helps with this movie, you talk about like the, the naturalistic acting. Uh, they shot on location in uh, uh, Barrington, New Barrington, Massachusetts. Um, and, it, you know, it's... I don't know, the setting alone just makes it seem like we're witnessing something uh, that actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I mainly grew up in the southwest um, of America, and I, I've 
he works at this chemical plant. I've never seen a, a plant like that before. And just being surrounded by the trees and the water, um, those locations always stand out to me quite a bit. And uh, yeah, it, it it's the location is a character in the film. I, the, you know, the... <laughs> That's the thing you hear a lot, but it's true, especially since the location kind of helps cover up uh, a murder in the film. Uh, but, oh, yeah, uh, having such a, a strong sense of place, I think, uh, boy, that, that does a lot of the heavy lifting. And, uh, yeah, this is an incredibly distinctive looking film. Yeah, for sure. I, I uh, New Barrington has a uh, theater company called the Barrington uh, Stage Company, and they host uh, like musical theater workshops uh, throughout the year. And uh, one of my friends, Joe Iconis, is um, frequently up there. And so I, you know, he's they're always taking pictures, and and so uh, as I'm watching Pretty Poison, I'm thinking. I I know this place. I've seen this place in pictures before. This is crazy. And so being able to like like look through uh some of these, you know, pictures of Joe's and then look at uh uh watch the movie and you think, "Oh my god, this is so crazy." Cuz I mean, as far as I can tell, not much has changed. It's still that like idyllic uh New England town that, you know, everybody kind of dreams about. But it, yeah, I I thought that was really really uh, cool. I love, uh, just how they use this place. Um, now, uh, so when things really kind of take a turn and we realize that Sue Ann is, uh, really the unstable person here and she ends up, uh, killing the night watchman at this chemical plant that he works at, uh, you know, she knocks him out by hitting hitting the guy over the head with the wrench or something, and then pushes him down into the the river. Uh, but he's not quite dead, and so she drowns him. And I, I don't know why I didn't notice this the first two times I watched, but th- last night I was kind of uh, astonished that she straddles the guy's neck and holds his head underwater uh, to make sure he's dead. And that just added a whole new level of darkness to me or to the movie for me, uh, thinking that like she is she she is the psychotic one here. Oh, yeah. And the beginning of that scene, it's kind of adorable because they're kind of like two little kids with flashlights going, shh, shh, don't get caught. OK, don't. And then, yeah, um, it's very sexual the way she makes sure that he's dead she she gets him between her thighs makes sure he drowns and then she hangs out on him (laughs) she stretches out and is like don't worry about it i took care of it you know (laughs) and he's just shocked he's just trying to process this uh he just didn't want to get caught normally now there's a dead body um yeah i mean just the switch the film takes in that scene you know that's one of the things that you know makes this film what it is like it's so powerful and it's kind of funny in a really dark way but that for me it only lasted an instant once uh you see perkins how he's reacting to it because it's how any i would 
think non-killer person would react, which is just shock and horror. And, oh, God, what are we going to do now? And also, why is she enjoying this so much? Why is she casual? Because she, uh, he doesn't tell her, oh, now we got to get rid of the body. He's not even paying attention. He's trying to hide. She's just t- stealing his gun, <laughs> pocketing it, and rolling him all by herself. Yeah, his his panic after she kills this guy is, um, uh, is real, but it's also funny. Yeah, it's it's this this pitch black humor um and so yeah she kills the guy and then like the look on his face he's you could just see his eyes working like holy shit what are we doing this i'm in way way too deep here um and then they escape to like their their little lover's lane thing and and now she wants to fuck me after killing this guy and you know the and it this movie has these weird uh comic beats that a lot of times happens when uh she kind of takes charge of the uh intimacy portions of their relationship like either there's there's music happening and then it's there's a sharp cutoff and she she says something that that completely switches the tone um or how he kind of plays uh i mean not even aloof just uh sheer panic like he doesn't know how to act with a woman um but it it is so i, I don't know the the i think that's the one thing if if people have never seen this before um prepare yourselves for uh, you, I mean, just the uniqueness of the even the comedy of this, and and it is. I would totally consider this a comedy. It's a super dark comedy, um, but prepare yourself that that it's it it is a super dark comedy. See, I I don't view it as a dark comedy. Um, I think it has some moments of. Uh, I I hesitate to say absurdity because. Um, they're not played in any kind of ham-fisted way um but because it's it is such a kind of down-to-earth realistically played film when these shocking moments happen uh they're so heightened it's almost like uh it's so uncomfortable it kind of makes you laugh um but i i don't feel like trying to entertain the audience in that way was its aim that might just be me um, but I, I, when I would recommend this film, I, I never mentioned dark comedy because I feel like uh, that's such a specific frame of mind to go into. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess um, I, I like I mean, I like the term absurdity, too, uh, because for me, that is such an ambiguous term um, because there are. I, you know, I don't know. It's again, all I can say is that it's such a unique movie and uh, you'll see when we get to our pairings uh, that I basically just gave up um, trying to find some sort of theme. Um, but, you know, there there are some sweet dramatic moments uh, because you you end up feeling for this guy, you know, or like when. 
there's some also also very tense moments um and i i felt them as uh, m- maybe as just a man but I, I i don't know when he meets her mom um and he's kind of you know he's building up this lie and then later on of course they get caught um uh that i don't know that that wasn't you know necessarily comedy that I, I don't know it um but i totally felt the tension in those moments yeah i i love uh that scene because um yeah he he really does get run over by the women in this and it's great because i don't feel like it's played in a misogynistic way it just really illustrates how in over his head he is even before the crimes start picking up, just relating to people, just trying to go on a date and pass the test uh, with her mom. And uh, her mom is very sharp. She's very cynical. She's seen all the tricks and she's not, she's uh, like, she says, you know, my daughter inherited my stubbornness. Uh, And there's, he's no match whatsoever. Um, And those are, they're, incredibly entertaining scenes to watch for sure because uh it's not easy doing what perkins does playing kind of the meek straight man uh in that way and not overplaying it he does it perfectly like it makes me cringe into my seat it's yeah boy this movie has everything (laughs) no it, it it really is it really is like a kitchen sink movie because uh i mean it it does it it covers so much. And I think maybe that's what kind of threw me the first time I watched it because, um, I don't watch trailers and I generally don't even read synopses, uh, before sitting down and watching a movie. And, uh, you know, all I knew from this movie was the poster, uh, basically, and maybe a few, you know, stills. Um, and so I thought I was getting like a straight kind of, uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde sort of movie and it's not that at all and so I think that like going in with that expectation um, and again that's completely on me uh, was you know it, it didn't match what the movie gave me and so it kind of threw me uh, but again on subsequent watches you know it's uh, quickly shooting up the list of, you know, all-time favorites uh, is how much I love this. Like, you know, uh, so he's got this line, and they they use this as a tagline on some of the posters where um, they, so they they kill the Night Watchman. The next day, uh, everybody notices that, uh, oh, the, the pipes or something break at the plant, and then they go outside and they notice the guy dead in the water. And so he sees that Sue Ann has returned to the crime because, I mean, she's a typical criminal. She can't stay away. She needs to see uh, how everybody reacts to what she did. And so, uh, you know, to me, his it's, it's his panicking uh, for me that is comical. And so he has this line. He says, I met you on Monday, fell in love with you on Tuesday. Wednesday, I was unfaithful. Thursday, we killed a guy together. How about that for a crazy week, Sue Ann? And that is, to me, like, that sounds absurd. And I think that's the absurdity of this movie. Um, 
in that one line right there. We've watched all of that so far up to this point in this movie, and it's been fabulous so far. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that scene uh, because there's a lot going on with the characters. You can see Dennis, uh, he's horrified, but he's kind of trying to reconcile. He's like, maybe I can be a criminal with this girl. Maybe I can live with this. Maybe it won't be such a big deal. And you can kind of see the gears working in her head like, all right, this guy's wrapped pretty tightly around my finger. I think we could probably go with the next step, which is getting my overbearing mother out of the way. And uh, they're, you know, technically talking to each other, but they're on completely different planes of existence at that moment. And uh, it's it's great to watch that play out. Yeah, she... and. And from that point on, she runs the show. She lays out the plan. Okay, we're going to run away together. You're going to hide in the woods, and, and I'm going to pick you up. And, and so he goes and hides in the woods, but then he panics, and he starts running away. And, of course, she here she comes zooming up in her car. And, like, this right here, for me, was the nail in the coffin of of who's, who's running the show here. She is. Uh, she pulls up next to him, and she goes, Going someplace? You're lucky I'm early. And... You know, just the way she delivers that line, you know, gave me chills. And I was like, oh, we no, we're not going to fuck with her. She's she's the boss. OK, OK, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 an incredible dynamic change. And the film does it beautifully. It, it's a slow burn and it, it's very effective. And once it changes, uh um, Perkins goes, uh, he loses that veneer of trying to be cool that you mentioned. And it's just pure terrified panic. And she just, she just gets calmer and slicker and more confident. Now, have you seen, uh, I'm looking through Noel Black's filmography here. Have you seen any of his uh, other movies or it looks like he did a lot of TV? Um, yeah, no. Um, I, I was kind of hoping to dive in there, uh, but no, not really. And I know he wasn't a big fan of the films he made kind of directly after Pretty Poison. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen any of... Yeah, he looks like he got into TV movies pretty big. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of it. Um, but I mean, I mean, my God, he's... I think he handles this script um, like... I mean, like a god, because, uh, you know, like we keep saying, it's so unique and it's it, this movie does have everything. And he kind of treads uh, uh, through the water seamlessly of of all the, you know, different plot points and characters and, and emotions that are, are being, you know, thrust at us. Um, in this movie and I know black like handles it seamlessly and, and makes it all work so well. Um, now, uh, there is so, Oh crap. I, for, I forgot what I was going to say. Anyways. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm never one to be like, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I love sequels. I want to see where the story goes. Uh, I'm hardly ever like that. Except when I watch this, I'm super curious uh, what happens to uh, 
not necessarily Dennis uh, after, you know, he, he does go to jail. Uh, I'm really curious to see where she goes because the story does go along here. Right. Uh, well, one of my picks, I feel like it, it could be kind of a sequel. Cool. In, in an but no, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I. it's not that like, um, okay, so they end up uh, killing her mother. She ends up doing it. He does not have the nerve. He's not a cold-blooded killer. Uh, but he ends up taking the rap for it. And... Um, a lot of times when you if if the movie continues after kind of like, all right, we caught you or to wrap it up, uh, it can be a little extraneous. But here it's great because you you see that uh, Sue, she now knows what she wants. She she knows how to kind of get things out of this boring little town uh, that she was miserable in. She she's she knows how to manipulate now. And we see that uh, even though Dennis was in love with her or thought he was in love with her, um, he he's very clear eyed about what happened now. And he has this uh, great conversation with the officer at the end about why he thinks it, it played out the way it did and how he thinks it'll continue playing out. And I'm with you. It does make you be like, oh, man, that sounds good. Like, <laughs> can he just like. Uh, just constantly follow her and try to pick up evidence and uh, escaping his grasp and finding more lonely men <laughs> to manipulate. Uh, yeah, it, it's rare too. Cause a lot of like noir films and crime films uh, where they end, you're like, I'm satisfied. This is good. Wrapped up. But here, yeah, it makes you want more. Yeah. She, uh, man, she is just so, good and you know she has you know it's not not really a winking at the camera but you know that kind of final uh stinger where she's sitting at the hot dog stand and talking to that to the new guy um and i yeah i'm just like i i want to see we know we know she's the bad guy we know she's the killer we know she's you know uh she's the poison um but i still kind of like her uh for I, I don't know why maybe maybe I'm I'm hypnotized like uh Dennis was by her uh but yeah I I, I want to uh, see what else she does because I mean they're in this small town how much you know she's already killed two people uh you can't imagine you know, she can get away with much more in this one town. So she's going to have to hit the road. And, uh, I'd be at this place. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'd be down. I'd be down with, uh, you know, with a TV show of Sue Ann just going town to town and, you know, picking a victim. Um, now I wish we had that so much. (laughs) That'd be so great. So, uh, as we transition into our picks here, uh, I was thinking, uh, you know, the, uh, the movie super dark times, the, I don't know, whenever it came out five years ago or so, um, I, I liked, I started seeing that, um, kind of the guilt between, uh, you know, the, the main kid in super dark times and then Anthony Perkins, uh, the guilt they started feeling after, uh, killing either accidentally killing or, uh, 
unexpectedly killing somebody. Um, I, I thought that was an interesting pairing. Ultimately, that didn't end up uh, making my final list here. Uh, but uh, was there some sort of uh, theme or formula that you went with here with your picks? No, this one was kind of hard because in a way there are so many films you could instantly pair with it, like Blue Velvet, because you have that um, a very similar background with two young people uh, getting pulled into a dark world uh, they're not prepared for, well, one of them anyway. Uh, then you have Badlands. Yep. Uh, that's another big one. The, but the one uh, kind of in that vein for me is They Live by Night. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I want to pick that, but I want I want it to be more unusual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're they're both, um, you know, love on the land on the lamb, but they both have the sensitivity. They kind of. It's less brutality and it's more of kind of a traditional tragedy uh, focused on the characters. And uh, there's a, a purity to Anthony Perkins here that uh, I see a lot in Farley Granger and they live by night. Hmm. So I guess that's my unofficial choice. <laughs> Those are really great together. Yeah, I've uh, I've. I have never seen They Live by Night, but it's always, uh, you know, it's on TCM a lot of times and it's on the, you know, Criterion, of course. Um, and I, for some reason, I don't know, I've never just pulled the trigger to sit down and watch it, uh, even though it's at, even, you know, if it's streaming, it's sitting at my fingertips, uh, easy to watch. Uh, so that needs to happen immediately, uh, sounds like. Um, all right, well, let's hear, um, now, did you, did you do two or three? I did three. He told me three. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah. Answer your question. Theme is I tried to pick out film that illustrated different facets of this film that I really liked. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. For me, I, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going the same, like you're talking about Badlands or, you know, I was thinking the Honeymoon Killers. Of course, those two are in Cult Movies 1, so I didn't want to uh, make those my picks. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, uh, killer couples or um, I, I could not figure it out. And so on, let's see here, this is Tuesday we're recording. On Saturday, I made the change and said, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to talk about uh, lesser-known Anthony Perkins movies. And so that's what I did. Love it. Yay. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into it here. Uh, let's hear your first pick. Okay, my first pick. Um, this is the one that I mentioned could uh, be a kind of sequel to this if you squint. And that is uh, 1981's Body Heat. Nice. Brian De Palma. No, um, no, this is Lawrence Kasdan. This is the Kathleen Turner movie with oh, William. Oh, yes. Well, I'm think, what am I thinking? Body Double? I'm thinking of Body Double, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Body Heat. I've never seen this. Okay, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but it's why I like it. It's very much a literally steamy affair. Like, they're in a heat wave, and uh, in every single scene, uh, William Hurt has huge sweat patches under his armpits. 
<laughs> and everyone is just covered in sweat the entire movie. It's a character in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, he has a, a very uh, sexy affair with a married woman. And, you know, it's very double indemnity. The postman always rings twice. We're like, oh, let's kill your husband. And of course, things go wrong. And um, it, it's, it has a great parallel where uh, as events worsen, William Hurt takes on everything. He has to take on the guilt, the investigation, everything, a lot like Dennis does in Pretty Poison. Uh, but the difference here is Kathleen Turner, her character, she's a, she's involved and uh, in all the goings-ons in the film, but she remains clean through the entire thing. She, you almost think like, oh, yes, with the, her smoky voice, she'll have this the scene where she turns and she's like, ha, I've been playing you like a fiddle this whole time, you sucker. She, she's, she plays a lamb until the very end of the film. You never see her turn, yet she's clearly the puppet master, and it's so interesting. So, um, yeah, and it's it's a very heightened kind of soap operatic movie, but again, wonderful supporting cast, um, just incredible. Uh, Ted Danson is in it as a lawyer friend, and he, he's amazing in it. He's very very funny. Um, yeah, so it, it's it, it's just a fun one. That that one I don't think was marketed as a dark comedy, but to me it was kind of a dark comedy. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so kind of a, a couple uh, going through, you know, murderousness. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Kathleen Turner, uh, like Tuesday Weld, another woman uh, who uh, can uh, tell me to do anything they want and... I would probably do it, um, especially, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, God, man, I, she was one of my early crushes as a kid, uh, I oh, remember. there's a white dress in it, you'll die. <laughs> Perfect. I'm ready to die uh, by, by uh, the side of Kathleen Turner. I'm up for it. Um, okay, so for... Like I said, I went Anthony Perkins, and normally, I, you know, I... I kind of, I don't want to say it's like an easy way out. Um, I don't want to say that uh, by any means. Uh, I, I, me personally, I just try to, you know, like you said, kind of pick the maybe uh, go lesser known or, or some odd choices, whatever. Um, but I thought, okay, uh, everybody loves Anthony Perkins, but, you know, everybody knows Psycho, you know, uh, Pretty, you know, a lot of people know Pretty Poison. You know, we, we know some of his bigger uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, but I got, I found three uh, movies that I'd never heard of, and uh, I am extremely happy I finally, uh, or I did watch them. So, the first one I'm going to bring up here is from 1967. It's a French, almost Jallo, um, called the Champagne Murders. Uh, from director Claude Chabrol, and it stars uh, Anthony Perkins, Maurice uh, Ronette, Yvonne Furneaux, and Stephanie Aldrain. Uh, have you seen The Champagne Murders, Stephanie? 
No, I've seen like maybe three Chabrol movies. I had I didn't know he worked with Perkins. So I'm very intrigued. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's got a really nice Kino Blu-ray, um, but this is about uh, a man who uh, after shortly after being attacked and then uh, having his date murdered, and it's a, it's like a cold open of. Uh, these people going into like a, you know, a lover's lane type of thing. Um, and he's attacked and his date is murdered. Uh, Paul, who's uh, played by uh, Ronette, is unable to run this champagne business that his family left to him. So his partner, uh, Christine, played by Freneau, takes charge. And Christine is married to this guy named Christopher, played by Anthony Perkins, who seems to kind of just ride the coattails of her success, um, which is totally fine because that's what I do with my wife. Uh, as Paul comes back into the fold, though, like after he, uh, you know, is rehabilitated, but people kind of suspect that, oh, was he, did he really kill this this woman at the beginning of the film? Um, women keep showing up dead and he ends up becoming the prime suspect of everybody, including the detectives. Uh, but Paul suspects that it's his partner's husband, played by Anthony Perkins. And so, like, they maintain this, uh, they're, they're like best friends, but Paul is suspicious the entire time. And so, you, you, you know, it's, it's very Jalo-esque. Um, one, because of the colors. Two, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's not technically black gloved killer but you know that type of thing um but it it is like i said so beautiful it reminds me of um kind of how gorgeous pal and pressburger movies are um and you know the lighting the color pops you know everything just jumps um i will say uh it is slow as molasses but it builds to an incredibly thrilling finale. And then the final shot uh, is uh, Chabrol is, I, I love, he's, he's a fabulous director. Um, and like, like you, I've only seen a few of his movies, but what I've seen, you know, he, he's got such a, a gorgeous uh, artistic hand at what he does. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not going to say how it ends, but the final shot is, uh, a camera pulling away from an eagle eye view, pulling away, um, and it just reveal uh, reveals you know people in this room uh, surrounded by blackness and you know with bright red carpet. It it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, but like I said, stick with it. You know if you're a Jalo fan, you know we we're used to movies like that uh but it, it is a really thrilling finale so i'd highly recommend this movie yeah that sounds terrific i always end up ordering blu-rays when i do podcasts <laughs> <laughs> all right let's hear your second pick okay so this pick is from the aspect i really liked in pretty poison which is the dynamic of two people reacting to a, a terrible event in completely different ways. And uh, that pick is um, 1965's Bunny Lake is Missing from Otto Preminger. Another one I haven't seen. <laughs> this is one of my favorite films. And um, 
I hate bringing up Psycho because I feel like that's annoying, but um, I I feel like this should have been just as big, especially the third act, the finale. It's God, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> but this uh, this woman loses her daughter. She she drops her off. She comes to uh, pick her up at a school, and they claim that she doesn't have a daughter enrolled there. And uh, she she's being gaslit terribly. So she's uh, she's trying to figure out what happened to her daughter. Uh, Lawrence Olivier plays the lead investigator. Uh, Thankfully, he uh, doesn't write her off. He he's kind of the only one that can uh, seem to see things clearly. Um, but uh, it's Carol Lindley who uh, doesn't really act like uh, Tuesday well, but I think they look like they could be sisters. And uh, Care Delay is her brother in it. Wow. And he is, uh, it's his niece that's missing, and he's reacting to everything in a completely different way. He's trying to play it off cool. It's not a big deal. Like he's, it's just impacting him very differently. And so, even though it's a brother sister dynamic, and Bunny Lake is missing in a romantic relationship and pretty poison, uh, I, I see so many parallels in that kind of relationship. And it just came to mind to me a lot. Plus, it is just a cracker of a, a, a thriller. It is just terrific. Uh, everyone is just firing off cylinders. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous black and white movie. Uh, just stunning. Uh, yeah, it, it's a wonderful mystery film. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's always, it, you know, it's it's always been part of Indicator's 3 for 30 sale uh, that they always have going on. And it, it's, you know, whenever I do an indicator order, it, it's always like just outside of the list. Uh, so I think now is probably the time to, uh, pull the trigger on that. I didn't realize Otto Preminger directed it either. I, that's, I mean, that's totally my bad. That's horrible that I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. How dare you, but <laughs> You can rectify this next indicator sale. Uh, okay, that is great. Bunny Lake is missing. All right, so for my second movie, um, I went with uh, Anthony Perkins' final performance uh, before he passed away. Um, and in it was this made-for-TV movie from the early 90s, from 1992. It's called In the Deep Wood, directed by Charles Carell. Um, and it stars Anthony Perkins and Rosanna Arquette and Will Patton and D.W. Moffat is in there. Christopher Rydell. This is Amy Ryan's first movie. Um, Beth Broderick is in there. Ned Bellamy is there for a minute. Um, you know, when, you know, the, the late 80s and early 90s when TV movies were were the thing. Um, have you seen In the Deep Wood, Stephanie? No, and I bought it from Amazon Prime like two years ago when it was 99 cents, and I have not gotten to it yet. It is, you know, it these movies, the especially the made-for-TV movies, are hit or miss. Um, this one, to me, is a hit. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, even if they're misses, they always bring me some sort of comfort because, you know, it just re- reminds me of childhood, uh, always having these things on at night, it seems like. Um, but this is, uh, 
a story about where women are being murdered and then their bodies are being dumped. They show up in the woods. And so after discovering this uh, super creepy guy following her, uh, that he's actually a private detective played by Anthony Perkins, uh, Joanna uh, is uh, Roseanne Arquette. Joanna, she is relieved until her best friend is murdered. And then she begins to suspect all the men in her life. Uh, Perkins, uh, her boyfriend played by D.W. Moffat, her brother uh, played by Christopher Rydell. Um, it is uh, really quite uh you know for a t- made for tv movie it's 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 not graphic at all but you know i mean you i feel like you don't see made for tv movies as uh thrilling as they used to be and so this is one of those uh but anyways this ran on nbc uh in october of 92 and uh for me i can think of uh very few other actors that bring me comfort like Will Patton does. Are you a fan of Will Patton, Stephanie? I'm trying to place him. He um, is, let's, well, you know, from uh, Mothman Prophecies. He plays the guy who saw the Mothman outside. I have not seen that in quite a long okay. time. <laughs> oh, you, really? You don't, you don't watch that every year like I do? Crazy. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go now. I, I, I'm no true movie fan, you got. Um, but uh, you know, the other thing about like these made for TV movies, uh, you know, a lot of them are on Amazon Prime, which is how I watch this. Uh, but you know, they're just basically VHS rips, and so you have the the fade outs to commercial breaks. You know, that's always a, a nice little uh thing to witness while you're watching these. Um, now the one thing that as Anthony Perkins got older um, and he's taken these roles, I feel like people um, mistake his overacting. Like I think Psycho 2, which is I freaking love Psycho 2, uh, but I've heard so many people say like, oh, he's overacting. And I think he completely disappears into these roles. And I think it's brilliant acting. And so you get that in this movie where he is i mean like he's completely enveloped in this character and he's of course very very good this you know he's great up until his final days he's just one of the greatest actors um and then finally the one thing i got to say is nobody screams like rosanna arquette um she is a terrific screamer and that's all i'm going to say about the movie it's an underrated skill really <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Like with Anthony Perkins, he looked so young until, I don't know, maybe he hit 50s, kind of like Keanu Reeves, because he was 36 in Pretty Poison. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh, my and gosh. The early 20s as well, right? Or mid 20s? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that is some good, uh, that's good aging right there. Yeah, I hope you left the skincare routine somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it is a little tough. You know, of course, he got sick with uh, AIDS, but you could see, you know, his body was starting to age faster um, than, you know, we see in earlier in his career. Uh, but it, it is, you know, it's nice being able to see a, 
a really good final performance from somebody. Um, okay, Stephanie, your third pick. Okay, my third pick is an aspect of uh, I, I was fascinated uh, by Dennis's uh, fabulous approach where uh, he, he, you know, he created the fact that he was an exciting uh, CIA agent. You know, he wasn't himself. He, he was an important man with important missions and it, it was going to have make this girl fall in love with him. And it, it was his shield for his fear of the outside world and his insecurities that he wasn't enough. And uh, my favorite movie about that subject is uh, from 2003, and that is Billy Ray's Shattered Glass. Billy Ray, I've never even heard of this. Okay, it is. It's a biographical film about uh, the writer Stephen Glass. He wrote for the New Republic, and he was kind of a wonderkind journalist where he just seemed to find the most exciting stories and get the best quotes, just like marquee stuff. Everyone was jealous of these weird, fascinating stories he just seemed to stumble onto that no one even had an inkling about. Um and, you know, when you're writing for a magazine, they need to check your sources and he would give them sources. But it got to the point where they started not matching up. Phone numbers wouldn't be connected to where they were supposed to go. And uh, they found out that pretty much he made up everything. He made up the entire stories, all the people involved, obviously, all the fake contacts and uh so and this really happened, which makes it so much more interesting. But like, I'm kind of a journalism nerd. Uh, like, I love all the presidents men. Like, if it's about a newspaper or magazine, I I want to see it. And this is one of the best. It, it's just so great seeing um, him. Uh, oh, it's played by Hayden Christensen. Oh, nice. Who I never really thought much of as an actor, but boy, does he kill it in this and. Uh, just uh, the the sword above his head is getting closer and closer to his skull as things are unraveling, and he he plays it so well. Uh, and then watching the magazine like pull together, like we're gonna take this guy down. <laughs> I'm doing all the research. I like that kind of thing. Uh, and he has this great uh, aspect to his character where uh, he's like, "Do you still like me?" You don't hate me, do you? Like, that's what he's most worried about is people hating him. It's incredible. <laughs> you know, it's about this real life plagiarism case. Well, not plagiarism, but just wholesale lies. <laughs> but it plays like an exciting thriller where it's almost like they're going to catch a killer or something. It's great. I'm looking at this cast. This is ridiculous. Chloe Sevigny, Steve Zahn, Peter Sarsgaard. Rosario yeah, Dawson, Millennium. I mean, yeah, what the crap? Yeah, no, it's, it's highly recommended. It's, I, I've seen this movie so many times, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I love uh, journalism movies. So, like, uh, uh, today on Twitter, you know, one of the things was, one of the quote tweet with your blah, blah, blah thing, uh, but was what, you know, what's a movie that you go back to time and time again? And mine is... Uh, and it's an odd choice for this sort of thing, but mine is Spotlight. 
Um, you know, it's it's horribly dark material, of course, but it's it's totally that journalism thing. Um, you know, I love chasing down the story, you know, type of type of movies. Um, but so this sounds right up my alley. And I I'm why haven't I even heard of this? This is embarrassing. So uh, it makes me feel great that I get to be the one to tell you. So thank you for that gift. <laughs> you are welcome. Um, okay, so my third and final pick is, a, a, I guess, a movie, but it aired uh, in 1966 on this show called ABC Stage 67, uh, which I'm, I'm not even exactly sure what. I think it was sort of like an anthology program on ABC. Um, anyways it uh it's called evening primrose and it's a musical written by um stephen sondheim uh with with libretto by james goldman and james collier or john collier and it's directed by paul bogart and it's anthony perkins uh who surprisingly has a fabulous voice um and charmian carr and it is the most uh, it's the oddest thing. It's very Sondheim uh, because of its uh, weirdness. Um, but I'm also embarrassed because I'm a huge Sondheim devotee and I I had never even heard of this. So um, thanks to Letterboxd, I saw it show up and I was like, what is this? And then I, I found a, a really shitty rip of it on YouTube and uh, I am super glad I, I watched it. But let me let me tell you this. Well, first of all, ha, do, do you know this, Stephanie? Have you, have you heard of this? No, I'm just laughing because you're being extremely hard on yourself. It, it was like a TV anthology show from the 60s that you could barely find a watchable copy of. But how dare you not know it exists? Well, n- not not the show. Like, Son- like Sondheim. Um because like he he has I have his two uh, books of his lyrics and it's not in there and so I, I don't know I just kind of thrown off like oh my gosh he has secret works out there I need to find more anyway so <laughs> this uh, this premise listen to this so Perkins plays this guy named Charles Snell who is a poet uh, who decides he's had enough of the world and so he's gonna hide out in this department store at night to get away from the outside world. And what he discovers is an entire society of people who have done the exact same thing as him. They've run away from the outside world to live in this idyllic society uh, that only operates in the middle of the night, of course, when the department store is closed. Uh, So Charles meets this young woman named Ella, played by Charmian Carr, who he discovers has been living in this underground world since she was six years old uh, when she got separated from her mother in the store. So Ella and Charles fall in love. Uh, Charles kind of opens her eyes to the real world, um, and she desperately wants to escape this underground society thing and, and get out to the real world and live there. Um, but he's not completely convinced he wants to return to his former life he uh you know 
likes the idea of living in this weird secret society, uh, which is all basically old people because they've been living down there for decades since like the the turn of the century. Um, so it is, I mean, it's so freaking bizarre. Um, it's kind of uh, maybe a proto Sunday in the park with George where these people pretend to be mannequins, of course, when, when you know, uh, the guards or employees or shoppers walk by. These people have to act like they're the mannequins all day long during the day, and then at night they're living this thing. Uh, obviously, this would be a perfect pairing with mannequin. We all know that. Um, but you like, that. <laughs> but there, there's... So, like, she has... Uh, uh, Ella has these lines where she says stuff like, I've never spoken to a man before that wasn't old. I've never touched a face that wasn't wrinkled. Um, that's, you know, it's uh, very heartbreaking, very real. Um, but in this setting, it is so freaking bizarre. Um, and what these people are kind of looking out for they call the dark men and these are we we never learn what they are but we assume they're probably the employees or maybe the the guards at night who if they discover that this person is a real person they're going to kick them out and so they refer to these people as the dark men and they're always hiding from the dark men and is really eerie um and you know the I don't know. It's 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 just so so strange. Um, Evening Primrose, find it on YouTube. It's only an hour long. Uh, you'll maybe thank me. I don't know because I, I I would love to hear people's thoughts on this thing. Yeah, this this sounds incredibly interesting, and I would fantasize about uh, sneaking into a department store as a kid and just living there. It's like, oh, all the king-size beds you could want. Like, this one's for jumping, this one's for rolling, and this one's for sleeping. <laughs> sounds fun to me. That, you know, I think we probably all did that as children, and maybe even, you know, sometimes, of course, this is a pre-pandemic, I would take my, uh, my boys when they were younger, you know, if it was shitty weather outside, but we had to get out of the house, we'd go to you know, one of the department stores and just walk around just to get out of the house for a little bit. And I mean, I could still fantasize, you know, Oh, what if we stayed here overnight? Like we could play with all the toys and ride the bikes and the scooters and the, yeah, jump on the beds and all this stuff. Um, but then you watch something like this and you're like, Oh my God, these people are fucking creepy as shit. Yeah. Even career opportunities, those burglars came in. So what can you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got to watch out for the dark men. That's right. Um, okay. This was a ton of fun and I am, uh, glad that, so I didn't watch pretty, I, I haven't seen pretty poison. I hadn't seen pretty poison until I spoke with you and you picked it. So for that, I have to thank you so much for just for having me watch this movie. Oh yes. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, if you'd be down, I'd love to have you back again. You know, we have uh, 87 more movies to get to. And, uh, you know, uh, finding 87 more people to talk about these things uh, might prove to be difficult. So I'd love to have you back again, Stephanie, if you'd be down. 
Well, you didn't sound very excited about, but sure, if you filler people, I'd be very happy to come back because it was a lot of fun. Um, where can people find you online? Do you have anything to promote at the moment? Uh, nope. Just follow me on Twitter. I'm Scrawfish, and everything I do ends up there. Bad jokes included, though. Fair warning. She doesn't tell bad jokes. Don't listen to her. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Movies Pod. You can follow me at AK Donnelly on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. Uh, that's A K D O N E L L Y. Uh, thank you for listening. Next week, we've got Chris O'Neill, um, filmmaker, essayist, uh, all around great Irishman. He's, he's the first Irishman I will be speaking with, so I'm very excited about that. Anyways, he wants to talk about Andy Warhol's Bad. Have you seen that, Stephanie? Mm-mm. Oh, it's, uh, that's a doozy of a film. That'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, the day after this comes out, make sure you guys go to fthismovie.com. Uh, it is 1988 week. I think it's 1988 uh, because uh, we're preparing for F This Movie Fest on March 6th, Saturday, March 6th. So uh, check that out. But uh, Stephanie, thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun and we'll do it again here soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is great.